I have walked out on a pool deck <laughs> and oh, been like, excuse me. <laughs> and it didn't go over very well, so I didn't do that again. No. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, welcome to Fit to Be Radio. Slip on your minimal sneakers, notch your headphones into your ears, tuck your smartphone into your pocket, and take us along for a walk while we talk. Or just grab a cup of your favorite drink and get on the floor and stretch a bit while we bring you all things fitness, core, and diastases recti related. You guys ready? Yes. Yep. All right. Born ready. Born ready. I love that. I, I love your first one, though. When you're like, I wish I could just say all those things. I know. <laughs> that is so bad. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to Fit to Be Radio. My name is Chris Spanky, and I'm your host today. I'm also the co-founder of Fit to Be Studio. I am here with Beth Learn. She's the CEO and founder of Fit to Be Studio also. And we have a guest today that is going to be great. I'm excited to talk to her. Her name is Michelle Lyons. And... Um, Let's get right into it. But first, I'd love to find out, Beth, you are a big Michelle fan. And you've been talking oh, yeah. about recording this podcast for a little while now. So it's exciting that we're doing it. Um, how do you know Michelle and why are you such a fan? Let's start with that. Okay. So um, I met Michelle through all the connections online in the diocese community, pelvic floor health community, okay. and uh, just started following her casual observer. You know how it goes. And then she was a speaker uh, at the Women and Women's Health Live event that I went to in New York. We've had several guests come out of that because that event really blew me out of the water and just cemented my desire to help women get this information. And yeah, during the pre-show, I was telling Michelle how when I was in high school, you know, all my girlfriends were like, let's go to the concert. Let's go see, let's go see news place. Let's go see DC talk. Let's go see all these people, you know, well, you know, I grew up in the Christian community. So it was like all those Christian rock stars, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Oh man. And I I think there might've been some new kids on the block in there too for the rebels. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness yourself now <laughs> new kids on the block don't ever say that again <laughs> little little vanilla ice gonna, you know bleep that out uh, and so you know they had all these posters and i was never into that stuff i'm like why would you put those people on your wall i mean why and now though as i was putting on my makeup today i felt like i was going to a concert this morning because i like be Michelle, because I really look up to her. I could put her poster so you're on saying, my wall. So Michelle Lines is is a rock star. Yes. Oh. So Michelle, where are you um, coming to us from today? Well, right now, Chris, I am in my office in um, in Ireland um, for a change. I'm normally gallivanting around the world, uh, teaching and talking and ranting about pelvic health and women's health generally. But I'm actually um, back from the came back from the UK yesterday. So I'm here for today and tomorrow, and then I'm going over again on Friday because we've got Woman on Fire with, uh, again, Beth and our mutual friend, Jenny Burrell. We've got to get you over next year, Beth. Um, I would love it. Yes. So, yeah, I spend a lot of my time traveling, but um, love being home. So here in um, a fairly rainy Ireland today. Yes. Where in Ireland? So I'm right in the middle. I'm about an hour outside of Dublin, um, right between the east and the west coast. Ireland's not that big, though. So, you know. I You're love, never too far away. I love Ireland. My wife and I spent uh, about 10 days there. Oh, very good. We drove very good. around the whole thing, then went through the middle. And it was, wow. It was, it was fantastic. Really good. That was really, a bold move driving there. 
Yeah, um, it was a bit sketch uh, for the first couple hours, as you can imagine, as we learned to drive on the other side of the road and shift with the <laughs> wrong hand. Car, yeah, can't a car, but um, we did not get any dents or scratches or anything on our uh-huh. full size car, which uh, was very small to us. It was a very small full size car. Um, My husband's American and he still kind of forgets every now and again. And we just kind of drift perilously to the other side of the road. So there's always usually a a quick adjustment, you know, even after, you know, after all these years, he still, um, he still lapses. Yeah. uh, Sometimes. It was exciting. It was exciting. (laughs) Well, that is fantastic. Um, Yeah, I need to go back there. So we need to, we need to do some fit to be travel over there. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. And we'll do another podcast from over there. There Uh, you go. That would be awesome. So you're in Ireland. um, Mm -hmm. And then this thing that you went to, that was in New York. So you you travel around and you do a lot of speaking. Um, What... What is your favorite thing to talk about while you're speaking? Like, what do you, what, when, when someone says, Hey, Michelle, give it to me straight, what's the thing that you're going to tell them first? The first thing, if I'm talking to a group of normal people by, you know, <laughs> non healthcare professionals, you know, okay, because okay. anyone working in women's health, you know, you have to be a little bit abnormal, I think, sometimes to, to do the work that we do. But sure. mm-hmm. If I'm talking to an average woman, the most important thing I think to tell them is that leaking isn't normal. It's common, but it's not normal. Pain isn't normal, you know, and there's almost always something that we can do about it. You know, if you just ask the right people, the right questions, because like I was saying to Beth earlier, there's a lot of misinformation out there and rumors and myths. And unfortunately, some of it is still purported, you know, by our medical colleagues, you know, that, you know, for example, a woman with pelvic organ prolapse, you know, I was just talking to somebody last week. She's in her thirties. She's just had her third baby. She's got some prolapse as 50% of women will have after giving birth. But she went to see her doctor because I'd recommended that she go and ask him about a pessary to support her prolapse. And he told her, no, no, you're too young. Those are only for little old ladies. (laughs) Exactly. Wow. That, that was my reaction too. That's a slightly more polite version of my reaction. <laughs> because, you know, that, that, that is not what the evidence tells us, you know. Right. And it's, it's really just being able to, to reassure women that there, there are solutions that are non-surgical mm-hmm. and non-pharmaceutical often as well, that we can really just provide minor tweaks, like a, like a pessary, like some lifestyle advice, like the right type of exercise, mm-hmm. um, to really allow women to start living well again, you know, to enjoy their lives and not have this sense of restriction because they're leaking or they've got a prolapse or they've got some pain. There's so much that we can do to help them. So I I really just want to just take a second and applaud the work that you and Beth are doing here with this podcast. And, you know, I mean, Beth, your work on social media, amazing. You know, I'm a fangirl. Thanks. Absolutely. But these are the conversations that we need to have. You know, I think we're living in a golden age in terms of the, the, evidence and the research that's out there yeah it's getting it through mm-hmm. yeah. is something that I'm really really passionate yeah. about because you know women deserve better right and you yeah. have a huge you have a huge history and and I I want to make sure people know how 
amazingly qualified you are. So can you just rattle off a few of your outstanding credentials? Because yeah, sure. I mean, I've been a physio for 25 years. Mm -hmm. So I started out in orthopedics and sports medicine. You know, I was that physio in PT school at the back of the class during the women's health lectures. Well, I'm never doing that, you know. And, you know, I was, I, I've done the whole running onto the football pitch, you know, on All-Ireland final day and, and doing all that stuff. But then I have my own daughter and I realized uh, really what goes on in terms of obstetrics and gynecology. Mm-hmm. And then I started diving a little, little bit deeper and, you know, really amazed at the, the disconnect between the evidence to support what we can do to help women, the prevalence of pelvic floor dysfunction and, and really just the availability of services. So, um, you know, I've bounced back and forth. You know, I've lived in the States for quite a while. I spent some time in Canada. We've been back in Ireland now for about five years. Um, Mm -hmm. But probably I've seen more of the U.S. since I've been back here because I go to the U.S. maybe once a month to teach. Mm -hmm. And I go to the U.K. once a month. And then um, usually once a year I go to I do a teaching tour in Australia, uh, taking in New Zealand and this year Singapore as well. Um, I was in South Africa before Christmas because it's it's really it's it's a growth area. Women are, you know, I think I think psychosocially, you know, there's a huge trend now. Women are saying, no, we demand better. You know, time is up yeah. on a, yeah. all sorts on of all things fronts. going on right. here. But let's take back control of our health. Let's remove those barriers to living fully and living well. Right. So I'm really just happy to be a part of that movement. I also think that you know, physio by itself isn't enough. I think we need that movement prescription skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to look at nutrition, at mindset, at sleep, mm-hmm. at stress management, you know, to get that hormonal balance. Right. But, you know, it's, it's about teaching women to, to ask for more and then giving them a toolbox right. to individualize their own health and well-being. Yeah, because right. one of the main questions right. I get is, what do I ask? <laughs> like, they ask me, what do they yeah. ask? How do they look for... I am amazed at the disconnect among a lot of women where they, they don't even know how to ask. And or who to ask. It, it seems really simple. If you want to find a physio who does X, Y, Z, then call up a physio clinic, which, or physical therapy clinic, as we call them here in the yeah. state and ask, do you do X, Y, Z? Right. Um, but, but the thing is they don't have, they don't even have that vocabulary yet. So a lot of the education that, that we do is, here is the vocabulary. This is the name of the thing that you're looking for. Like they know what they need. Can you, can you rub this spot? <laughs> right. Uh, but what is that called? Well, that's called soft tissue it. release. That's called myofascial release. That's called, okay, yeah. that's what you're asking for. And um, yeah, it's huge. You and I both are really passionate about reaching the, the lay people, the, the normal people, Absolutely. but also the professionals. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it has to be, it has to be, you know, a a double-edged approach because on on the one hand, I think, you know, and apparently I say this a lot because somebody made me a little Facebook meme about it, but most women know more about their phones than they do about their own bodies, you know, particularly their own pelvis, you know, because lots of women are very disconnected from that area of their body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there are just milestones in a woman's life, whether or not she chooses to have children, you know, to have babies, um, the, or and whatever mode of delivery that that involves, but we know that one in three women have some sort of pelvic floor dysfunction. Wow! Mm-hmm. You know that's it's one in three. It's a huge number, and it, we really just need to say yes. It's very common. It's not normal. 
But to be able to sit down with somebody, you know, sometimes when I'm when I'm working with students or with new grads, they'll say, well, what's the most important piece of equipment that I can get from my clinic, you know, and I'm starting up. And they expect me to talk about, you know, expensive biofeedback machines or real-time ultrasound. Honestly, I tell them, get some good anatomy models. Because if you can sit down and explain to a woman what's actually happening in the body, mm-hmm. why it's happening, mm-hmm. and most importantly, what we're going to do about it, mm-hmm. you really build that therapeutic alliance. You give her power, you give her agency over her own recovery. Mm-hmm. So it's not the, the physio or the doctor or the therapist, you know, swooping in like the hero to save everybody, but you're giving women the tools to help themselves. Right. And just to see that kind of, you know, that realization is, it's so rewarding. And to be able to teach other healthcare professionals to do that as well. It's like, hopefully, you know, we're going to see the ripples going out with that as well, because there have been some huge improvements, but you know, there's a lot done, but we have a lot more to do just yet before I'd get, before we get to where I'd like it to be. Amen. Right. Do you feel like people are surprised as you, just the average, you know, woman, are are they surprised as you kind of reveal some of this stuff to them? Like, wow, I just always thought. Yeah. Well, I think, Chris, like what happens is sometimes we as women don't always tell each other the truth. You know, um, there's a lot of mythology that, you know, oh, it's normal to leak after you've had children or you know women have gone they've told me they've gone to their doctor because they're having pain with sex and the doctor said well you know that is normal you know have a glass of wine and relax no you know or it's normal to leak it's normal to have prolapse as Mm -hmm. you get older and there's nothing we can do except surgery you know i like how you say common but not normal Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely like you're not alone but we can help we can like Mm -hmm. you shouldn't accept Yeah, and every woman thinks that she's the only one who's right. gone through this because right. there's such an, you know, sometimes in women's health as professionals, we forget that, again, not everybody is like us, you know, and yes. normal, <laughs> normal, <laughs> apparently, Beth, normal people don't spend all day, every day talking about bladders and bowel health. What? They don't, they don't they have don't. pictures of, of vaginas in their Facebook news feed with, you know, who knew? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, to normalize the conversation, you know, to make it, uh, you know, a part of a of a person's basic health screening, you know, because when I was working in in sports medicine, you know, or orthopedics or just general musculoskeletal health, you know, I would you'd you'd see a patient coming in for for whatever reason, and you know, I was that person, you know, asking, so any problems with your bowel or bladder? Please say no, please say no, please say no, so we don't have to talk (laughs) about it anymore, you know. So you take that, but then you fast forward um, to maybe five years ago. I was at the uh, World Congress on Abdominal and Pelvic Pain in Amsterdam. Okay. And a group of us went out for dinner. So there was uh, three, no, there was four pelvic health therapists, a gynecologist and a urogynecologist. And we all go out for dinner in the red light district in Amsterdam. Our table was told to be quiet because we were being too rude because we were talking about <laughs> wow. we were talking about all the things that were going on oh. and other people were just shocked because you know we were we were using correct anatomical terms. That's God forbid. Say. <laughs> yeah, but you know, oh man, my it sounded crowd, like you were building up for a big joke there. <laughs> by the it's way, it's not repeatable though, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my crowd, my crowd loves specific anatomy. Um, what they shy away from usually is, you know, what they consider to be vulgar terms and, and myself in, I'm the same way. I, you know, I just want to hear what the real terms are. Um, when I, when I was growing up, my mom 
we didn't say farts. That was about, that was the F word in my house. Yeah. Uh, and I've shared that before. Um, but my mom was also very open and it wasn't that she shamed us. She just didn't want us to be sitting around talking about it at the dinner table. And uh, she's very ladylike. And I think that that mm-hmm. is the, the average, not all, I have a very diverse following, but the average clients of mine is, um, is very ladylike and she likes correct terms. She wants to know the truth about her body. Um, but she doesn't, she doesn't want to hear very many F words. That's for sure. (laughs) Of either sorts. I had a girlfriend, uh, in college who, uh, would say, that she was going to teach her, her boys. And she knew she was going to have boys. And she did. She had three boys. She's like, I'm going to have boys. And, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to teach them pretty girls don't have buttholes. And I was like, what? Why? No, she's like, girls don't fart. We don't do that. Beth, we don't do that. Um, because as late like as my mom was, I was very open, like, oops, excuse me. You know, uh, and <laughs> I'm saying all this to feed Chris's face is hilarious right now. Uh, Chris, it was Trisha. <laughs> It was Trisha that said that. Um, so it was, but that was a lot of my friends. It was like, no, you don't, we, among us women, we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't mention it. And, and girls the just girls don't do don't. that. We hold it all in, which causes problems um, in more ways than one. And Trisha, if you're listening, I love you. I really do. <laughs> you, you really inspired me, girlfriend. Um, throwing you under the bus there. Uh, but this goes into oh, something you brought up in the pre-show that I really want to get to the whole Kate Middleton thing. So she just had her third baby. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. And congratulations, you know, to her. Um, but my, my question mark about it was, so I, you know, I looked at all the the pictures yesterday evening where she was leaving hospital seven hours after giving birth to her third child and she's immaculate, you know, her hair is fabulous. Her makeup is done. She's wearing a dress. She's even wearing high heels. She's the definition of a pretty girl. She, she mm-hmm. really is. And uh, absolutely, you know, I, I fully, you know, I really endorse having staff, you know, to do all that for you. <laughs> That's what I said on our I, fan page was, hey, yeah. this is great. And this is, you know, it's relatable because it was this meme about this is what yeah. Kate looks like seven hours after a baby. This is what I look like seven years after having a baby. <laughs> and the woman's a hot mess. Mm. And but it's like, let's just all take yeah. a moment to appreciate that she has people, that she has people and many, many people. Yeah. And she's going home to a palace. Right. With a I staff. Mean, another set of staff. Another set of staff. But I, I just, I worry that this adds another layer of pressure for women. You know, right. if she's doing that, why can't I? Yeah. You know, I will say one small thing, though. She did wear a dress. And you know, with the royal family and the photo opportunities, nothing happens by accident. She was right. wearing a dress that very clearly showed she still had a large bump, which yep. I really applauded because so many women that I've seen, you know, go to hospital to have their baby and they take the skinny jeans with them because they yeah. think, you know, after the baby's on the outside world, everything just goes back in again. <laughs> nope. You know, it, it, it takes a while. It takes a while. But, you know, I, I really think we have to just, as women, I think we have to be real with each other and, you know, say, this happened to me. Has it ever happened to you? Or, you know, this happened to me and I got help from it for us, you know, yeah. and yeah. this is what I yeah. see. And these are the questions. And here's what happened, because sometimes I go and I look lurk in some of the patient support groups. because I want to find out what real oh. women are actually talking about, right. what their issues right. are, you know, what are the conversations they're having? 
And it's horrendous, isn't it? It's shocking. Well, honestly, sometimes they just, they feel like black pits of despair. You just need to be very psychologically sound going into some of them because (laughs) you want to help everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, You you really do want to help them. But, you know, so many of them don't know where to turn to, or they've been given some really patently bad advice, you know, by, by healthcare professionals. Yeah. And it's it's to try and break that cycle in a very gentle way so you don't start off another cycle of despair. Right. Because sometimes when women do get help, there can often be the the initial reco- you know, relief and joy that they're right. they're finding solutions to their problems. Mm-hmm. But there's almost always a little kickback of anger as well. Like, why didn't anybody tell me this before? Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, because mm-hmm. I think that it's not that you that a lot of times women are getting bad information just from the internet, which can't always be trusted, obviously, but sometimes they're getting bad information from people that they should be able to trust like their doctor. So what do you say to that situation? And what do you say to that woman who feels like they have some fear because they feel like maybe it shouldn't be this way, but they're being told it's a normal thing and they need to just deal with it. Well, and I'll wait a second. So, and just, just to back up that, I had a client in our forum say, Hey, I went to my ND. So I'm an, I'm assuming that's a naturopathic doctor. Mm-hmm. And I, I told him about fit to be and how I'm doing, you know, some pelvic floor work, just basic exercises and, um, you know, working on the lift of the pelvic floor and this ND, she's like, I'm all confused now. Cause they said, no, no, that's not how you're supposed to work your pelvic floor. You're supposed to just squeeze the front oh, muscles. No, no, And no. she's like, so now I'm confused because this doctor, so what is it? And I'm like, okay, question. Was this doctor okay. a specialist in pelvic floor health? Yeah. Um, and, right. and why, why, and, and, and have you, you understand that a full Kegel, this doctor's like, that's not how you do Kegels. I'm like, I never called him a Kegel. We're not, those aren't Kegels. A full Kegel is the lift, the close, and the full relaxation down and open. You know, that's that's summarizing it. Absolutely. This doctor was like, no, a Kegel is just the front pinch. And it's like, what? No. (laughs) And that's that's tricky because you have to be diplomatic, you know, and you want to be polite. um, Because, you know, these are our colleagues who are giving this advice. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I try and I don't trash anybody. Right. You know, and that's why I was like, okay, oh, does this is this specialized? Did they, yeah. they see something in you? And she's yeah. like, no, I just, it was just kind of a side conversation. I just, I just tried to tough. put it that, you know, there's some, there's some newer research that actually shows here's what you really need to do. And they're like, oh, maybe, you know, your, your, your doctor probably just hasn't read this newer research yet. And inside I'm going, please don't ask me because this research is actually over 10 years old, but I'm going to say it's new. <laughs> just to give them an out you know? oh goodness and you know i'd be happy to send them a copy of this paper and you know and and discuss it with them if you think that would be helpful because you know it's like maya angelou says when you know better you do better you know right, and right. we all started from somewhere and you know hats off to to general practitioners primary care doctors because they have to know a little bit about a lot of different things right that's you know? true super hard. so it is a super hard thing. You've got a very limited amount of time, you know, to to work with a patient. However, if you are a gynecologist or a urogyne or an obstetrician, you should probably know better. Yeah. And if you, you know, and it's, that's where it becomes a little bit sticky, you know, um, particularly if you have a patient who has been to see her OBGYN and she's being told that the only option is surgery, you know, mm-hmm. And she's saying, well, is that true? 
And if she's asking me point blank, is it true? I'm not going to lie right. you know, and say, yes, it is true. And of course there are other options, you know, because we know surgery, you know, gynae repair surgery has a pretty high failure rate, you know, depending on which paper you read, 30 to 50% fail within the yeah. first couple of years. That's and it's not, not like you get it. Good it's not like you get stats. it and go walking out of the hospital looking like Kate Middleton. I mean, right. <laughs> I mean sadly, no. There's a it's recovery. a serious, serious surgery. It's not. With, with, ideally with some prehab as well as some rehab afterwards. Right. But lots of women have these repair surgeries and then they go back in for their six-week post-op checkup and they say, well, okay, so can I go to boot camp now? Right. And the doc says, yes. Right. You know, and then, and then, you know, or they've, they've had a prolapse maybe because, you know, they're chronically constipated. Right. Or they haven't got a good lifting technique, you know, and then maybe some, some obstetric trauma as well. Lots of these issues can be dealt with conservatively, you know, managing your intra-abdominal pressure, pelvic floor muscle retraining, mm-hmm. global exercise strategies, getting good glutes, getting good upper body strength. Managing the breath and the pelvic floor, maybe a pessary if appropriate as well, because you know, there's and these are low risk, low risk, low cost interventions. You know, compared Mm -hmm. to surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now wait, she said pressure. That means we can talk about the chicken now. Yeah. What? So there's this. this (laughs) Is that what you're waiting for? (laughs) What's the chicken? What is the chicken? What are we talking about here? So you know, like I've been doing this for quite a while, and I've spent (laughs) a lot of money over the years on various anatomical models and props to explain things to both um, to both women that I'm seeing um, from a client perspective, and also then the the students that I'm teaching in my courses. The most effective teaching tool that I've probably ever bought. Mm-hmm. Is my my three dollar rubber chicken from Amazon to explain intra abdominal pressure? Because if you're doing a lot of uh, breath holding, <laughs> doing crunches, you know, yeah, this oh. is what can happen. You know, so <laughs> yep. it's a very strong visual when you think about where what's happening to your pelvic organs if you're breath holding or you're straining to lift uh-huh. or you're breath holding when you're going from sit to stand or having a bowel movement. This is a visual that tends to stay with people, you know, and all you have to say is remember the chicken. And um, okay. So if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not seeing what we're talking about, she's got a rubber chicken that has a pelvic floor issue. (laughs) Yes, it does. And um, (laughs) if you want to know more about that, you've got to pop over to our website, go to the podcast page, find this episode and watch the video. Mm -hmm. The chicken alone (laughs) is worth it. The chicken alone is worth it. Now, nothing else, just go for the chicken. The first time I saw this, um, this used, and this is why I appreciate you, Michelle. The first time I saw this used, somebody was using the chicken, the poor chicken, um, to show why we shouldn't do transverse squeezes at all. And they were squeezing the dickens out of the center of this chicken and okay. showing how that puts all this pressure. So we need to stop squeezing the transverse, um, which oh, you know, all you've been doing to work your core and, and you uh-huh. are experiencing pressure in your pelvis. Um, and you feel like you're leaking and your prolapse symptoms are getting worse when you're doing transverse holds by all means. Yes. Back up, back up. And take a load off and make sure that you're doing it right. Because as Kelly from the tummy team says, lighter, not tighter, ladies, please. That's it. Right? So um, we are, you know, we are wanting a full good contraction as 
you know, we interviewed Tupler a couple weeks ago. Um, you guys can check out that podcast if you want. She has like different levels and she's trying to get people to go a little bit deeper with each progression. But even then there's a stopping point, right? We don't want people. And so at first this analogy kind of turned me off. But when Michelle did it at Women and Women's Health Live, the way, and even the way you just explained it, I was like, okay. All right. <laughs> because this, now this makes sense. And we're not trying to say, cause you could take that chicken yeah. and you could make it do those same motions without so much pressure, right? Yeah. There's a strategy to it. And that's Absolutely. what you discussed. And that's what I love is, um, that, that connection. I don't even know if I can put it into words. Yeah. Can you help me? <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I mean, Specifically, if we're talking about pelvic organ prolapse, you know, where a woman's pelvic organs, you know, her bladder, her uterus, uh, her rectum are moving down and out into places that they shouldn't be. So they're putting a lot of downward pressure on the vagina. Mm -hmm. So there's two ways that we can help manage prolapse. We can support from below. So, you know, doing pelvic floor muscle training. Mm -hmm. We could Um, put a plug in the chicken. We could put we could put a pessary in the vagina, also yes, or a plug in the chicken would be another way of putting it. Um, but managing the pressure, you know, bracing the pelvic floor muscles, for example, you know, something called the knack, where you do that preemptive tightening of the pelvic floor muscles before you've a large increase in pressure. So before you cough, before you sneeze, before you go from sit to stand, mm-hmm. so you support it from below. But you also want to decrease that pressure from above. Right. So breath holding when you're lifting, when you're straining to have a bowel movement, you know, mm-hmm. using the arms in the chair and breath holding every time you go from sit to stand, that's all a lot of downward pressure. Mm-hmm. So what we really need to think about is it's pressure management within the system, you know, right. and we need to have, we need to have some distensibility. We need to have good contractile strength, absolutely in our abdominals, you know, because, you know, they're, they're there to protect our internal organs uh, they're there to lend their support, particularly trans abs, you know, with the, with the pelvic right. floor and multifidus and the dia- diaphragm to provide that dynamic stability as we move through the world. But if they're too tight, there's nowhere for that pressure to go except down mm-hmm. and out. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're always looking for that balance. Yes, we want to be able to contract the muscles, but they have to be able to move as well. The very same thing with the pelvic floor too. We need to have the pelvic floor able to have a nice resting tone. Mm-hmm. It needs to be able to close and lift, you know, mm-hmm. when we're coughing or sneezing um, or we don't, it's not an appropriate time for us to, to go and urinate or defecate. <laughs> but we also need to have that extensibility, you know, right. we can come back down to a resting tone. That we have enough, we can have some lengthening if we're, we're having a bowel movement or, or having a baby, you know, through right. the vagina. But it's about having that range of motion available because, like with any muscle, mm-hmm. if you're continuously tighten, 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 you know, if we had very tight biceps or tight upper traps, mm-hmm. what happens to the muscles? They become mm-hmm. painful and dysfunctional, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and we have to develop all these other strategies then because you're asking muscles to do something they're not designed to do. Right. So it's full range of motion and strength appropriate for the level of demand being placed on the body, managing those pressures, having the support from below, um, taking some of the pressure off the fascia and the connective tissue, you mm-hmm. know, within the pelvis, um, and just treating every woman as an individual, finding out what her story is, mm-hmm. what success looks like for her, what are her goals and aspirations in terms of movement or exercise, and then tailoring a program to, to fit her. Because I would never tell somebody not to exercise. You know, sometimes... It's like, oh no, my 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 physio said I can never do squats again because I have a prolapse. So, well, well, how do you go from sit to stand? Then? Right. How are you going to? Sit how do you do your life? You know. Right. 
Yeah. So now, it's, it's function is, is what drives me. Now, for guys, uh, you know, oh, man, um, women, we've got a lot of things going on down there. Um, so, guys, I love what somebody said recently. Um, my yoga mentor, she was talking about how yoga was originally invented by guys and for guys. And so there are quite a few movements that are not necessarily suitable. And I know Ginger Garner also touched on this during the birth healing summit is, uh, we have got extra, an extra opening and our, we, therefore we are more susceptible to high pressure, but men can also have issues. Can you just take a moment to speak, um, like, you know, on behalf of Chris and to all guys, because I know there's guys that listen to this too, is, is, um, how does the rubber chicken concept play out in the male pelvic floor? Yeah. So you know, I think probably awareness of, you know, because I, I, I know I said at the start that I don't think there's enough in there awareness of women's pelvic health issues, but I think there's probably even less when it comes to men's oh, pelvic yeah. health. Um, and I would say particularly for men with pelvic pain due to overactivity in their pelvic floor muscles, right? To men who've gone through prostate cancer surgery, um, you know, to, who are suffering with urinary incontinence and erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a huge perception even, you know, uh, with, within the medical community that men don't really have pelvic floor muscles, so they don't have to deal with any of these issues. What? You know? I, I, I know, I know it is shocking, but, um, it, it is unfortunately true. Um, so many men that I've talked to who've gone through prostate cancer treatment, for example, um, you know, 100% of men who've gone through prostate cancer treatment will wake up with a catheter in situ and will go through a period of urinary incontinence. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking and it can be very soul destroying for them as well. Because, I imagine. Absolutely. Because there's an, they're not warned, you know, even if they were warned, this is going to happen. And here's a strategy for dealing with it. Right. Because that's the frustration, I think, with men's pelvic health. There's a good and growing body of evidence, particularly in the field of prostate cancer, because it's the it's the second most common cancer that men will get in the US. Mm. And treatments have come on so much. I mean, the, the five and 10 year survival rate for prostate cancers in the US is somewhere between 97 and 99%. Wow. You know, wow, that's great. Absolutely. But too many men are still dealing with urinary incontinence and erectile dysfunction after prostate cancer. Mm. And there's no need for it for most of them. If they've had neurovascular sparing in their surgery, um, if they've had prehab, um, we, there's so much that we can do. You know, the goal would be to get every man dry by three months Uh post prostatectomy. But the harder, you know, if, if we're not seeing them pre-op, it's quite hard, obviously, to retrain a traumatized set of pelvic floor muscles. Mm. Right. We, it's not just prostate cancer, though, with, with the guys, you know, um, we see a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction in our male athletes, you mm. know, uh, who have that overactivity in their pelvic floor, okay. uh, maybe some driven by some overactivity in their abdominals as well, because they're doing crunch, 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 crunch all the right. time, and right. everything's getting shorter and tighter, or maybe some pudendal dysfunction because they're doing a lot of um, endurance cycling, you know, and they're mm. sitting on that, you know, that, that bicycle saddle that's perfectly shaped to compress all the neural and vascular structures in the male perineum as well, right. you know? So these are conversations. It's not just a female centric issue. No, not at all. Everyone has a pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's really important that we have these conversations in, in a public forum like this 
so that, you know, who knows who it's going to reach. And then that woman or that man can reach out and say, I never knew there was help for that because there absolutely is. There's no need to live with that. There's almost always something we can do about it. And right. sometimes it's a something really, really simple, you know, mm-hmm. like dealing with the constipation that you're having. That's a huge driver for pelvic floor dysfunction in both men and women and children, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, constipation is one of my favorite things to talk about, much to the delight of my teenage daughter. You know? I think we need to have you back for a whole <laughs> podcast about just that because you know, I am learning how much it, it spins out and impacts. Everything. Yeah, it's yeah. Huge. everything. It's huge. So, now, so something... Oh, go ahead, Chris. Uh, I was just going to say, so so, how does that tie into, I'm suspecting that that actually ties <laughs> pelvic floor health into nutrition itself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you think about it, Chris, you know, essentially we're looking at two ends of the same tube, you know? Right. So we have to, I think if we're going to talk about bladder health and bowel health and pelvic pain and sexual health, if we're going to talk about it in a truly holistic, you know, fashion, we've got to look at what we're putting in, you know, what are we right. eating? How are we eating it? Are we absorbing the nutrients appropriately? And then how are we eliminating waste products from the other end? Are we having a good right. bowel movement every day? Right. Are we struggling? Are we having difficulty controlling our bladder? You know, are we having pain when we are urinating? And again, the solutions for all of these, they're out there. You know, the awareness isn't out there, but the, the research to back up what it is that we can do. And it's getting the big rocks right. You know, are you eating well? Are you eating the right type of food? Can you absorb those nutrients? Are you slowing down to eat? And then really just teaching people how to get that coordination oftentimes is all that's needed with their pelvic floor muscles. Because we know that the two big drivers for constipation are transit through the bowel. It's too slow. Too much water gets resorbed. So the stool gets really hard and dry and it's difficult to pass. And the other big driver is what we call pelvic floor dyssynergia which means that when the pelvic floor should be lengthening and relaxing to have a bowel movement, it's actually closing up and tightening up and we're having to strain against it. And we have some nice research showing that if we actually deal with the pelvic floor coordination issue, that will improve the transit time through the gut. You know, simple things like abdominal massage for constipation. Beautiful, simple. You can do it for yourself. No risks, no side effects. You go into CVS or Walgreens or any pharmacy the shelves of constipation cures yeah. that are there. Oh, and yeah. then and then on the other side, the shelves of incontinence products, all the pads. <laughs> it's a huge industry. Diapers. It's a huge, huge industry. They're making money off us. Stats. Well, yeah. there's more money spent on incontinence pads in the US last year than there was spent on, on sanitary pads for menstruation. Wow. What? I know. So that I means... Know. I mean, my, my, my brain, my layman's brain just went to, that means there are more people chronically incontinent chronically, chron- than there are women on their periods. It's the second in loss of bladder and bowel control is the second wow. most common reason for admission to a nursing home. It's only the only bigger Wait, say that again. Is dementia. Say that again. That was, okay. <laughs> that was huge. Okay. Bladder and bowel incontinence issues are the second most common reason for admission to a nursing home. Wow. Boom. Wow. Oh, that gave me one in f- and here's one more I'm going to throw in. One in five women over the age of 40, which is not that old, 
has some sort of anal incontinence. One in five. Yep, not me. I'm good. One in five. <laughs> that is such a high number. Yeah, that is a big, a big number. But so we go through a lot of changes are in that perimenopausal period. And oftentimes that's when obstetric events of the past catch up with us. Yeah. yeah. You know? So it really is, you know, pelvic health is a lifelong commitment. It's it's you know, it's it's something that you have to be aware of every day. Not in a scared way. I'm I'm not here to fear monger, but just to pay attention to it you know, and to, to give it some, give it some love, give it some respect because your pelvic floor, you know, it's responsible for bladder function, bowel function, your sexual health, um, lumbopelvic stability. So really important for back pain, uh, really important working with your diaphragm for your lymphatic system. The pelvic floor really is the answer to everything. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it obviously really it's better if, if you're paying attention to this your whole life, but let's, what yeah. do you say to the woman that's perimon- perimenopausal that is just now listening to this podcast that, that you, okay. you haven't, that hasn't really been told, hasn't, doesn't know, hasn't paid attention to this in the past. What do you, what do you yeah. say to her? <clears throat> Well, I would say, you know, first of all, are you having problems? You know, are you leaking when you're coughing or sneezing? Are you leaking? You're not making it to the bathroom on time. Are you losing control over gas or over, you know, uh, any sort of leakage from your back passage? Are you having any pain with sex? Are you having any back pain? If you are, go see a good women's health PT. You know, you can go at full disclosure. I'm on the faculty of Herman and Wallace, the Pelvic Rehab Institute. But we have a therapist directory on the website. So you know, you can go to pelvicrehab.com. The APTA also has a therapist locator. Right. Go get checked out because you know what? I mean, if you have a car, you take your car to get serviced, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't you? I mean, you know, it's because so if you don't take your car to get serviced, what happens? You know, the, the tires it's go out nice. and wear out. Yeah. You get it tuned up every so often. And I just think to, to, to really... If you can, it's always easier to deal with a smaller problem than it is to deal with a bigger problem. Right. But right. even if you're having a bigger problem, still go see your women's health PT because you right. know what, there's almost always a solution. And even if you do end up needing some sort of surgical intervention, the better shape you are going into surgery, right. Right. Oh, the yeah. easier and more successful your recovery is going to be as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now it's a win-win. Um, something keeps rattling around in my brain, and that means I need to say it. Um, (laughs) and that is this interesting dichotomy. Um, you know, as you talked about men and and Mm -hmm. we're talking about women Mm -hmm. and how men really don't know and are not told to expect incontinence issues post-surgery, whereas women we're told we're like, I mean, when I had my first baby, I had my sister and 15 other women say, go buy pads. You're going to need those for like six to eight weeks after you have a baby. You're going to be a hot mess. That's yep. just normal. And yes, for that, those first few weeks after, sure, you know, while your body is recovering. Um, however, there was also this, hey, you're going to have babies and you're just going to start peeing your pants. Get ready. Ha ha. Deal with it. Yeah. Whereas men, it's like, it's like they're not told and, and it is so much more a part of their identity. Um, you know, their, their function down Mm -hmm. there is a huge part of their psyche. Yeah. With us, it's like the opposite. It's like, we just, we're so dissociated disconnected that we're not dealing with it. (laughs) Absolutely. And and, and there's a huge denial. So nobody's Mm -hmm. dealing with it. No one's dealing with it well. No one's dealing with it. And there's anger from the, the, the response is still anger and, and, 
but with men, it's like you tell them, if you tell a guy, Hey dude, you can go get this fixed in like a couple of visits for like a couple hundred dollars. They slap the cash down typically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Women, you tell yeah. them, Hey, you know, you can, well, no, it's supposed, no, it's okay. Well, I'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, that is not right. okay. It yeah, is not fine. okay to, to pee on yourself. I'm sorry. You don't want to be know? the chicken for crying don't out loud. Don't be the chicken. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm the chicken. <laughs> and I think that's why, you know, it's important as women that we talk to each other and we tell each other the, the truth, particularly those of us who are working in women's health, mm-hmm. you know, that we do spread yeah. that message that there is help out there. And for those of us who are working in men's health as well, that we we explain to men exactly what's going to happen. Because I think for women, say in that postnatal scenario that you just described, Beth, you know, I think we're kind of used to the whole pads thing. And we're used to maybe having internal examinations if we're having pap smears or we're mm-hmm. having antenatal visits. For men, sometimes when you're, you know, ex- talking about pelvic health, yeah, they're not it's, used to it. It's well, they're not used to it, first of all. Um, particularly if you're going to do an internal examination, you know, it looks like you're going to put what where, you know, it's <laughs> it's like uh sorry, what? Um, but I think for men particularly, um a lot of men are very defined, you know, it's it, their their genitals are on the outside, it's mm-hmm. part of their their self-definition. And you know, the research would show that if you ask men before prostate surgery which is more important to them, you know, in terms of regaining it afterwards, their erectile function or their incontinence. All the men pre-op tend to say, well, it's much more important that I regain my sexual function. But almost 100% of the men, 100% of the men afterwards will say, no, we need to get this continence thing sorted out. Mm-hmm. You know, ASAP, we'll deal with the sexual stuff later, but let's get, because sense. it's such a culture shock, you right. know, yeah. and so many of them are not warned. And then that can lead to a lot of anger and frustration. And, you know, that really, it really hampers their global recovery, you know, from cancer. Because, you know, when you're stressed, your whole immune system is under a little bit of pressure. Right. You might, you're, you're afraid to eat or drink. You're afraid to go out and socialize, maybe to, mm-hmm. you know, to go out and participate in exercise or sport, you know, which is so important in terms of dealing with the side effects of cancer right. treatment. Exercise, so, yes. Yeah, getting getting yourself back again and preventing mm-hmm. cancer recurrence. Yeah, you know, and dealing with the bone health issues and the cancer related right. fatigue. You know, so movement. I really believe movement is medicine. And as I said, you know, for me, all roads lead to function. But so it's good. we education is is absolutely vital. And I really do feel for for a lot of men, you know, who go through this procedure. You get that diagnosis of cancer. You know, you you have the surgery, and you think then you're out of the woods. Right. You know. But then you have to deal with all the sequelae of the of the cancer treatment, you know, mm. and it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating and it's maddening for them. But again, we, these are the conversations that we need to keep having because there's so much that we can do to help them um, regain mm-hmm. control. Of their life. Yes. Yes. There's so much hope. And yes. it's evidence based hope. It's not just out there. We think maybe no, there's no woo woo here. You know, right. it's it's hard science. You know, I'm a, I'm a right. big believer in evidence based practice, you right. know. And all the research backs it up, but that's where the disconnect is because there's a good amount of evidence, mm-hmm. but there isn't enough awareness. Yeah. Right. And, well, it's like we, we've got this huge funnel yeah. and our funnel is constipated. It's like, we've got to get that thing, all the information. <laughs> it's all about the constipation. <laughs> <laughs> the 
there's a block. There's 59 blocks. It's like the carpool lane at my kid's Absolutely. school. Oh Absolutely. You know, so that's why, I, you know, I was, I was honored that you asked me to come on here because I think this is a really important forum for, for getting the information out to people and to have yeah. these real life conversations. And, you know, even if we just affect one person, you know, right. because, we, you know, in a, in a lot of households, I would suspect Beth, that a lot of your listeners are female. But we know that in most households, the healthcare decision makers are female. Uh-huh. So even if one woman thinks of a male relative or a male friend who's gone through this and says, yep. you know, I was listening to this crazy Irish physio on Beth's <laughs> podcast. And she said, <laughs> even if, if just one person, you know, gets the message. But for all women, you know, we can do better. We must yeah. do better, you know. Yeah. We must. Why are we satisfied with so little? I'm not. I'm not. I know you're not. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I mean, I've been doing the revolution. <laughs> been doing fit to be for eight years now. Yeah. And never did not set out to do pelvic stuff. I mean, I was like, nope, nope, core, just core. Not even at the time. Right. Like you know, five years ago, I knew there was co-activation. I knew there was connection, but I just was like, yeah. you know, just let little other people. Little did talk. you know. Just let other people. <laughs> And here you are. Uh Well, because, um, Michelle, you know, like I said, I I, I serve this crowd of women, mostly women, um, that does like things a bit more delicate and modest. And and so we come from backgrounds where a lot of times this, these topics were taboo. I was blessed that my mom was very open and ladylike at the same time, um, but used correct anatomical terms, like I said before. And, um, but not all women have that and they don't have the words. And, uh, you know, my question I want to, I want to ask my, my final big one is, um, like, what would you say to the woman who has bought into the notion mm. that it's not only normal to be broken? We've addressed that, but that mm-hmm. it's somehow good. Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, um, I would quote Albert Einstein, and I would say that God doesn't play dice with the universe, first of mm-hmm. all. So you are perfectly designed. However, you have gone through some events in your life that have placed your body under stress. You know, we, we in the Western, we have become more sedentary. You know, we're not as active as we used to be. I think, you know, particularly if we're talking about sexual health and maybe, you know, sexual pain postnatally as well. This is where I like to bring out my big poster set of the illustrated clitoris. And I start to talk about genital anatomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about how the clitoris has about 8,000 nerve endings, twice as many as your average penis, you know, and the penis has lots of other jobs. But do you know the, the clitoris only has one job and its job is pleasure. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have been designed like this if pleasure was not your God-given right, mm-hmm. you know. So by honoring your body, by honoring yourself, you know, that's, that's a fundamental not only a fundamental human right, but I think it's a human responsibility as well. Because if you are lucky enough to be born a woman in the Western world where you have access to information and, and hopefully healthcare advocates, mm-hmm. it's, it's your duty really to, to be grateful for these opportunities and to restore your body to its former glory, mm-hmm. to live well, to enjoy it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then I love, you know, as I was researching female anatomy for the Fit to Be Girls course Mm -hmm. and was pondering, how do I phrase things about the clitoris um, without making it sexual? Because like you just said, that's actually its primary role. But for young girls, and what I discovered and learned more about was that, okay, yes, once it's stimulated, and I use the word activated, It, it actually, it does do other things at that point. It massages the uterus. Mm-hmm. It brings blood flow. Absolutely. It clears things out. Like it has tons of other jobs, but to do those jobs, <laughs> it has to be allowed to do its first job. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I would add to what you said, like, and if, and if you're in this healthy relationship otherwise, but you're shutting out that and you're not giving yourself the chance to experience pleasure, whether that be sexually or just out playing with your kids. Okay. Absolutely. Then, then it's like, I think we're limiting, we're limiting what we are made for. (laughs) You, you, you are limiting and you're, you're frankly, I think you're being disrespectful, you Mm -hmm. know, um, because you're here for a reason, I believe. And, you know, like I said, God doesn't play dice with the universe. You are not imperfectly designed. You have a clitoris for a reason. Mm-hmm. you know and and the female orgasm essentially i mean obviously a woman's biggest sexual organ is her brain um well, yeah <laughs> the, the female orgasm is a series of rhythmic contractions of your pelvic floor muscles 0.8 of a second apart so i mean obviously the pelvic floor as i said is responsible for everything but right. honestly <laughs> it's it's one of the best ways that you can exercise your pelvic floor uh-huh. as well you know pleasure is not bad Mm-hmm. You know, but like you said, it's 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 sometimes it's starting with embracing your sensual side and, you know, not just your sexual side. So, you know, like we were talking about going out and feeling the warmth of the sun, you know, right. eating some nice food, you know, and oh, it drives me bonkers when I hear women, oh, I was so naughty. I ate some chocolate. Like if you're going to eat the chocolate, enjoy the chocolate. Yeah. yeah. You know, eat chocolate's not naughty. Smell it, taste it. No, it's full of antioxidants, you know. Yeah, and magnesium. But, so absolutely. good for you. You know, it's it's about allowing yourself pleasure and allowing yourself to have pleasure living in your body. You know, yeah. whether that's the things that you look at, the music that you listen to, not watching the news, you know, mm-hmm. it's never good. Yeah. Don't allow that into your body. That's you know, true. eating food that's good for you and that tastes good, moving your body, appreciating your body and showing right. it some love. Right. And scientifically, <clears throat> yeah, that absolutely. helps you stay healthy. Yeah. And you you can't, you know, you have to be on your list. You have to be on the self-care list as well. Yes. You know, like I travel a lot for work. What do they tell you on a plane? You have to put on your own mask first mm-hmm. before you can put on anybody else's. Right. So if we're going to be able to look after the people in our lives, we have you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. You know, so you've you've got to have that self-care right. near the top of your list. And it's not selfish. It's, it's not selfish. It's, it's, a, it's not. It's essential. It's essential. Yeah, it is smart, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Soapbox it. over. <laughs> so good. Michelle. Oh, okay. We got to have you back though. Cause yeah. I just, I can listen to so this soapbox all day. Yeah, <laughs> so good. My pleasure. My pleasure. Michelle, thank you so much for spending time with us. We for sure oh. need to have you back on. Um, A delight. This has been great. One of my favorites. So. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just need to reschedule and do another podcast. I love That's it. all there is to us. We will. We will. Thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. Uh, Thank you for having me. I was delighted to be in the team. Bye.
Good golly, Miss Molly, if that didn't give you something to chew on, I don't know what will. Thanks for listening. I really hope you join our community over at fitsby.com, where you can gain access to all our exercise videos and fitness e-courses. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to fit to be Radio, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at fit to be on Instagram at fit to be studio and on Facebook via fit to be Tennessee Fitness. See you soon. Oh,